The following is a message from Christ the King Presbyterian Church in Roanoke, Virginia. For more information about the ministry of Christ the King, please visit us at ctkroanoke.org. Morning. Good morning. Welcome to Christ the King. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Penny, and I'm the senior pastor here, uh, and it is great to be with you. Um, can, can you turn me down a little? I feel like I'm getting a lot of echo up here. That's, that's better. That's great. Thank you. Appreciate it. Um, I'm, I'm really not high maintenance, but, you know, there are, you know, <laughs> maybe I am high maintenance, regardless. Um, so it's good to be with you, and uh, this morning we're continuing in our sermon series in the book of Romans, and we are in Romans chapter 14 this morning. So if you have a Bible, uh, you can turn to Romans chapter 14. Now, uh, if you've been with us for the last number of weeks, you remember that uh, a number of weeks ago, uh, I said that commentators and theologians have uh, argued that Romans could be broken into two big sections. There's obviously smaller sections that we could, we could break it up into, but two big sections, chapters 1 through 11 that deal with doctrine, uh, theology, what we believe about God, and then chapters 12 through the end, 16, that are emphasizing more of the practical about how we are supposed to respond to the doctrine about what we believe about God. And of course, um, you know, there's practical application in chapters 1 through 11, and there's doctrine in chapters 12 through 16, but, but generally speaking, that, that's a good way of thinking about Romans as a whole. And so we're in that practical part of Romans about how it is that we are to live in light of the doctrine that we've heard already. And in last week, in the beginning of chapter 14, we were introduced to these two groups of people within the church, the weaker brother and the stronger brother, right? And, and Paul is seeing that within the church, there are differences that are arising. These aren't doctrinal differences. They're what we would call disputable matters. And, and they're not things that pertain to salvation, but instead they're personal convictions that are oftentimes extra-biblical. And so what do we do when these two things arise? What do we do when we're confronted by these differences? So last week, the passage emphasized the weaker brother, right? The, the one who holds to a, a conviction that maybe isn't demanded or commanded in Scripture. And this morning in our passage, in verses 13 and following, Paul's going to focus on the stronger brother, and how it is that we as the weak and the strong are to live together. So let's read Romans 14, beginning in verse 13. The Apostle Paul writes, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. 
Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and ask that you would meet with us now, that you would lead us and direct us, that you would help us so that uh, we would know what it means to be a people who live under your rule and reign and who live together. And so help us to do that, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So a few years after Kat and I were first married, uh, we had the opportunity to go on a short-term missions trip with our church. We were attending a church in South Carolina, and we went to Senegal, which is in West Africa. And we went to this uh, place because we were uh, meeting up with missionaries that we already supported who were there on the ground full-time. And we, we spent time in the capital city of Dakar and some of the villages outside of Dakar. Now, in Dakar, uh, it's a capital city, it's, the, it's a big metropolitan area, and so it had all the things that you would expect to find in a city, right? It had um, hustle and bustle, it had coffee shops, it had corporate offices, it had the major university for the country. But then we went into the villages, and the villages were very different than the city. The villages didn't have pavement, they didn't have running water, they didn't have electricity, the two places were very, very different. But they were different not just in these ways, but they were also different in the expectations that were put upon us. You see, in the city, we could dress however we wanted. Wear shorts or t-shirt, flip-flops or running shoes. We could dress however we want. But as we went into the villages, there was an expectation that if we were to be received by the church there, if we were to be received by the villagers, and they wouldn't look at us with suspicion then we couldn't wear shorts. Men had to wear pants. And women couldn't wear pants or shorts. They had to wear long skirts. Now, this was in the middle of the summer in Africa, okay? It wasn't like the spring that we've been experiencing here in Roanoke for the last month or what feels like six months, right? It's been glorious. But, um, but it was in the middle of the summer in Africa, and so it was hot, and it was sweaty, and it was dusty, and there we were expected to have to dress as though it was, for us, spring or fall or winter. So what would you do with that? I mean, how would you respond? being required to dress a certain way, not for an event, but simply to have a conversation. I mean, it'd be easy to think these are just arbitrary rules. There's nothing biblical about it, and there wasn't. It's hot. I have no issue wearing shorts. Why, why should they? Right? It'd be easy to think, well, I'm just simply going to invoke my rights and my freedom to dress however I want, and no one can tell me any different. I'm not going to let extra-biblical regulations bind me in any sort of way. I'm going to live out of my freedom that I have in Christ. When situations like this arise, it's easy to think that, isn't it? 
Paul's confronted by a situation similar to this. It's not about clothes. It's not about pants or dresses or, or skirts or shorts. No, it's about eating and drinking, right? He says that the weaker brother or sister who's in the church of Rome, they're very restrictive about what is to be eaten or drunk. They have a conviction that, that to eat certain foods or to drink certain drinks is simply wrong. But then there's the stronger brother and sister who knew what Paul says in verse 20, that everything is indeed clean. So we have two opinions, two opposing opinions arising. Two groups sure of their conviction. So what do we do? What should the church at Rome do? Well, they could divide. Right? They could set up the First Presbyterian Church of Eating and Drinking. And they could set up the, the Community Church of Perpetual Restrictiveness. Right? They could do that. They could just divide and, and divide along their opinions and, and just be surrounded by people who think like they think and, and eat like they eat and drink like they drink. They could just do that. That's an option. But it's not the option that Paul presents us. Instead, what Paul presents is that when disputable matters arise, that we're to bear with one another. That we're to bear with one another. Look at verses, verse 13. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. So the therefore is pointing back to verse 12. And in verse 12, we're told that every single one of us is going to give an account before God. Give an account for what we've said, what we've done, how we've acted, and how we've lived with one another, with our relationships. And so we need to consider, are we quick to simply set aside relationships when there's difference? When disputable matters arise, do we cast judgment upon those that we disagree with as though we are the judge? Now listen, the key here and what we need to keep remembering and being reminded of is we're talking about disputable matters. We're not talking about matters of, of first priority. We're not talking about is Jesus the only way. We're not talking about the resurrection from the dead. We're not talking about the Bible being God's word. We're talking about those things that the Bible doesn't demand or command. Eating and drinking what clothes to wear, what neighborhoods to live in, how we are to vote, the schools our children will attend. Matters that Christians can disagree over. And what Paul's telling us is that instead of judging when these disagreements come, we're to bear. Bear with one another. But this bearing isn't simply withholding judgment. It's also not causing a weaker brother or sister to stumble. Do you see it in verse, the end of verse 13? Decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. And he goes on and says, And I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it un unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died." Do not put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of our brother or sister. Now, that word stumbling block, it means to trip or to fall. And in this context, it's speaking specifically of spiritual downfall. So it's not just talking about like 
like this person's feelings got hurt or they have differing opinions. It, it actually is something that could do damage to a person's walk with the Lord. It's encouraging them to act contrary to their convictions. So let me give you an example of what this might look like. So this is a true story, but I've changed the names of the participants uh, to protect uh, the guilty, and you can decide who the guilty is. Um, but um, but uh, I have two friends. Uh, I'm going to call one Tony and one Max. And Tony and Max, uh, they're friends with one another as well. And Tony has no problem. They're both believers, both went to seminary, both involved in uh, formal church ministry. Tony, he believes there's nothing wrong with drinking. That as long as you drink responsibly, you don't abuse it. He can have a beer, a glass of wine, right? He's watching the Cardinals game, you know, because that's who you're supposed to be watching. He's watching the game, and he's eating chips, and he's having a beer. No problem. Max, also a Christian, also went to seminary, also involved in formal church ministry. He doesn't touch alcohol at all. Doesn't see anything wrong with it. Doesn't have a problem with it, but he just doesn't drink it. He doesn't touch it. Okay, so these are the two people, two different opinions, right? They're both friends, and at one dinner, the two of them get to talking. And they start talking about their differing opinion on alcohol and the appropriateness for Christians to partake of alcohol. And, and in the midst of this conversation, Tony, the one who's okay with having a beer, glass of wine, etc., he doesn't simply try to persuade Max that it's okay. Max is already convinced of it. Instead, what he does is he goes even beyond that. And he actually tries to encourage him and pressure him to go against his conviction. You are not living in the freedom that has been won for you by Christ. You need to have a drink to embrace your freedom. Now, Max has never said that it's wrong. He simply has said it's wrong for me. Now, Tony, in doing this, he is doing the very thing that Paul is telling us we should not do, right? Having a drink, a glass of beer, a glass of wine, right? Having a drink, it is not sinful in of itself. The Bible is clear about that. It is not sinful. The abuse of it is, but just having a drink. But, but to push someone to do something contrary to their conviction— what Paul tells us is that what we are doing is encouraging that person to sin. That's what Paul said in verse 23. Did you see it? Whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. Paul doesn't say that eating in of itself is wrong, but if you have a conviction that it is, then to go against that conviction, it is. And so the way in which we bear with one another, the way in which that we live with one another, the weak and the strong, is instead of encouraging the weaker brother or sister to stumble and go against their conviction, the strong brother or sister is to bear with the weaker. And we bear with the weaker by willing to actually set aside the freedom that we have for the sake of the other. Now, notice Paul doesn't say that the weaker brother is right. He didn't say that, right? In fact, he says they're wrong, right? He says, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. 
He knows that they're adding to the Bible. They're adding to God's law. He's not saying they're right. He's saying they're wrong. And yet, even though food is not unclean and Paul has the freedom to partake of it, he says in verse 15, if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy one for whom Christ died. And he goes on in verse 21 and says, It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes my brother to stumble. In other words, what Paul is telling us is that we are free to partake, but we are also free not to. That we are actually free to set aside our freedom for the sake of a brother or sister. And Paul says we're not just free to do this, but because of love, we ought to be willing to do this. Right? That's what he said. If we grieve our brother or sister, not just that we differ, but if we grieve them, if we're causing them to stumble, if we're placing hindrance, we are not walking in love. So what Paul's telling us is, is they're not right. He's saying that there is freedom to partake, to eat or to drink, that there's freedom to set aside our freedom, and there's also freedom to keep our freedom to ourselves. Do you see it in verse 22? The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Now, Paul's not saying that we don't share the gospel, right? That's not what he's talking about here. He's not saying that, we, you know, we take that little light and we hide it under a bushel, right? <laughs> right, kids, you, you know that song. We're, that's not what Paul's saying. He's not saying we don't share the gospel, the truth of what Jesus has done. He's saying when it comes to disputable matters, that we can keep the freedom we have to ourselves, that it's a matter between us and the Lord, that everyone doesn't need to know what we think about everything. And y'all, this is a good thing for us to hear in the day in which we live. Because we live in a time that just kind of operates off of the assumption that if I have a thought about anything, the world should know. Right? I mean, social media is built around this principle. So I should share with all the world what I think about the election, what I think about school, what I think about sports, what I think about eating and drinking and the PCA and the ARP and the Baptists and whatever else we want to talk about, right? Whether the road is getting fixed quick enough or whether my neighbor is annoying or whether the dog is driving, right? Anything I think, just let everybody know. But y'all, when it comes to matters that are not commanded or prohibited by God's word, matters of eating and drinking, of voting and dress, we do have the freedom to state our opinions, but we also have the freedom to keep those things to ourselves. And we probably need to exercise that freedom a little more frequently. Because if we're going to live together as stronger and weaker brothers and sisters— if we're going to live for the sake of one another, we need to be willing to set aside our freedom for the sake of one another. And in doing this, we pursue the kingdom of God with one another. That's what Paul says in verses 17 through 19. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace 
and for mutual upbuilding. Now, the kingdom of God, it is not bound by borders and it's not ruled by presidents. The kingdom of God is wherever God reigns. And though it's not bound by borders, the kingdom of God does have citizens, right? We talked about this a few weeks ago in Romans 13. We're heavenly citizens inhabiting this space, and we are God's citizens wherever he reigns, right? Wherever he reigns, there are his citizens. And his reign, the kingdom of God, is reflected by righteousness, peace, and joy. And that is not just manifested in our individual lives, but it is to be manifested in our corporate life together. That we together would pursue righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit and building up one another, that we do this together. You see, what this means is that the qualities of the kingdom are more important than our rights and freedoms and extra-biblical convictions. The pastor and commentator R. Kent Hughes, he put it this way, the kingdom of God is not operative in your life. If your rights are so important to you that you are willing to separate from a brother who does not agree with you. Did you hear what he said? The kingdom of God isn't operating in your life if you are willing, if you are not willing to bear with those who disagree with you on extra biblical convictions. So after I became a Christian, uh, some of you have heard me share this before. After I became a Christian, um, uh, my life radically transformed. So before I was a Christian, um, I, was, I was pretty wild. Um, did a lot of things I wasn't pr- I'm, I'm no longer proud of. Um, and um, I know that's hard to imagine, um, but, um, but, uh, but that really was my life. And when I became a Christian, there was a pretty radical transformation that occurred. And because of that transformation, there were things that actually um, my heart still clung to from the days before I became a Christian. And in fact, there was this one band that I like to listen to that, that every time I listened to them, my mind ran to those things that I used to do. And so I, I just realized that I had to stop listening to this band. Because every time I listened to their songs, it didn't matter what song, I was reminded of the partying. I was reminded of the crazy. I was reminded of all the sinful things I did. So I had to stop listening to them. I took my CDs. I threw them away. I deleted them off my computer. I did all these sorts of things. But there was nothing sinful in of themselves with this band. In fact, a lot of my Christian friends loved this band, and they sang to them and played them and listened to them and, and did all these sorts of things. And, and this wasn't a Christian band, but this is who they like to listen to. But, but my friends who knew this about me and knew what God had done in my life, they, out of joy, would not listen in my presence or would not talk about this band when I was around. Now, I never told them not to. I didn't say, hey, I'm having a CD burning party. Bring, right, bring the devil's music over with you, (laughs) right? I didn't do that, and I didn't demand it of them, and I didn't expect them to do it. This was what I needed for my walk with the Lord. This is my conviction, not theirs. And yet, and yet, they willingly and joyfully 
would restrict themselves from listening in my presence. And by doing this, you know what they were doing? They were demonstrating the kingdom of God. They were demonstrating righteousness and peace and joy and building one another up. Y'all, in that story, I was the weaker brother. And the strong showed me the kingdom of God. And they did so because of joy. They understood that pursuing the kingdom was more important than their freedom. And what motivated them wasn't simply that I was their friend, but what motivated them was that I was one for whom Christ had died. Right? I mean, that's actually what Paul says, that, that we do this for those for whom Christ has died. That Christ has given his life, right? He gave up the freedom that he had in heaven where he was worshipped day and night. He gave up that and bound himself, took upon himself flesh in the incarnation. And he lived a life we couldn't live and he died a death that we deserved to die. And he did so so that we would be free from sin. He did so so that we would live in a body together, a body that's made up of both weak and strong, a body where, which will have differing convictions and varying opinions, but a body that is called to pursue the kingdom of God by living in righteousness and peace and joy. And it's because that is the kingdom that we have been called into and the body of believers we're supposed to be that when that group of people from South Carolina walked into those Senegalese villages, the men were wearing pants and the women were wearing skirts. Not because the Bible commanded our legs to be covered or for us to dress a certain way, it doesn't. But we dress this way as we entered those villages for the sake of our brothers and sisters. Because, friends, the kingdom of God, it is not a matter of eating and drinking. It is not a matter of dress or personal freedom, but the kingdom of God is a matter of righteousness, peace, and joy in his spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you have called us into your kingdom and that through the work of Jesus, you have redeemed us and you have made us new creations and we are thankful that in making us new creations, you have brought us into your people, your church, the body of Christ. And so I pray that as we live with one another, that you would help us to bear with one another, that you would help us to set aside our freedoms for the sake of one another, and that together we would pursue the kingdom of God for the name of our Savior, for the name of our King, that it would go forth and for the good of your people. Help us to do this. And we pray all this in Christ's name and all God's people said together, amen.